Our Old Testament scripture passage for tonight is Isaiah chapter 53. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1145. 1145. A famous passage, Isaiah chapter 53. You know, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. New Testament scripture passage is Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. Pew Bible page. 1,750. Pew Bible, page 1,750. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time 
so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. As far the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're going to be looking at Article 20 and 21 of the Belgic Confession. It can be found in the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page... Seventy-eight. Once again, this confession of faith is where we as members of the Christian Reformed Church say we believe with the heart and confess with the mouth. And this reflects what the scriptures themselves teach. Article 20, God has manifested his justice and mercy in Christ. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, sent his Son to assume that nature in which the disobedience was committed, to make satisfaction in the same and to bear the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. God therefore manifested his justice against his Son when he laid our iniquities upon him and poured forth his mercy and goodness on us who were guilty and worthy of damnation, out of mere and perfect love, giving his Son unto death for us, and raising him for our justification, that through him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. Article 21, the satisfaction of Christ, our only high priest for us. We believe that Jesus Christ is ordained with an oath to be an everlasting high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and that he has presented himself in our behalf before the Father, to appease his wrath by his full satisfaction, by offering himself on the tree of the cross and pouring out his precious blood to purge away our sins, as the prophets had foretold. For it is written, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and numbered with the transgressors, and condemned by Pontius Pilate as a malefactor, though he had first declared him innocent. Therefore, he restored that which he took not away, and suffered the righteous for the unrighteous, as well in his body as in his soul, feeling the terrible punishment which our sins had merited, insomuch that his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood falling down upon the ground. He called out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And hast suffered all this for the remission of our sins. Wherefore, we justly say with the Apostle Paul that we know nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We count all things but loss and, ref and refuse for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, in whose wounds we find all manner of consolation. Neither is it necessary to seek or invent any other means of being reconciled to God than this only sacrifice once offered, by which He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified." This is also the reason why he was called by the angel of God, Jesus, that is to say, Savior, because he would save his people from their sins. And that is the teaching of our confession. Um, I figured since it worked so well last Sunday uh, that I would use another Shylin song to express my point concerning the cross of Jesus Christ tonight. 
Shailen has a song called The Cross. Three hours. One of the verses, he says this. There's something you've got to see. Journey with me. It's approximately 30 A.D. In the land of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. But on the outside, there's screams and loud cries. Through faith, this scene can be seen without eyes. The mean shout lies and seem to sound wise. As we inch through the crowd, we need to be cautious. A Roman execution, men on three crosses. But all the focus is on the one in the center. The gate closes behind you, no one can enter. The sight you behold is so odd, you're stunned. The man hanging on the cross is God the Son. Twelve noon, it's pitch black because the sun shines lacking. Your minds can't fathom this divine transaction. As slowly the sound becomes mostly drowned, you realize that you're standing on holy ground. So forever will I tell, in three hours Christ suffered more than any, sever, any sinner ever will in hell. So forever will I tell, in three hours Christ suffered more than any sinner ever will in hell. It's where we see your holiness at the cross. We see that you're controlling this at the cross. We see how you feel about sin at the cross. Your unfathomable love for men at the cross. It's where we see your sovereignty at the cross. We see our idolatry at the cross. We know that there's a judgment day from the cross. May we never take our eyes away from the cross. Our theme tonight... Christ suffered hell so we wouldn't have to. Or you could say Christ suffered hell to save us from it. Our first point tonight is God's wrath and grace. Our second point tonight, Christ, our high priest. Our third point this evening, the nature of his sacrifice. And the fourth, why it matters. So we're going to start with this first point. It's a summary of what we read in Article 20. Article 20 of the Belgic Confession of Faith says two things about the work of Christ. Is that in the work of Christ, particularly on the cross, God's justice and his mercy is manifested, expressed, seen. Romans chapter 3 speaks to this when it talks about the righteousness 
from God, apart from the law that's been made, that comes to us through the testimony of the law and the prophets, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all believe. Verse 25 tells us that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. And, Paul says, he did this to demonstrate his justice. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. All the sins before Christ were unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies. This is important to understand because there is one major problem in this world. It's the biggest problem that we have. It's not climate change. It's not what's going to happen to the taxes now that Biden's in office. It's not any of these major crises that a generation from generation comes up with to say that this is the biggest problem facing us. Our one big problem is that God is holy. And why is that a problem? Because we are not. We are not holy. But we understand that we are recipients of God's grace. But God's grace does not come to us simply because God decides to just say, oh yeah, you know what, it's no big deal. I'm letting you off the hook. What I mean by that is if God were a judge, because he is, and someone who committed a crime came in, and God simply said, yeah, don't worry about it. That's not a good judge. That's a crooked judge. This is why Jesus came. So that God could be just and the justifier, the one who justifies. So that the crimes and the punishment that we deserve for our sins would not simply be overlooked. That is not what the gospel is. The gospel is not that God simply overlooks your sins. The gospel is that God took the punishment that you deserve for your sins. And instead, Jesus Christ received that punishment. So God is still a just judge, and he can show mercy by giving you justification, by justifying you, and saying, you no longer are held accountable for your crimes because my son has died on the cross for them. That's why Article 20 says, we believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, sent his son to assume the nature of in which the disobedience was com committed. The human nature, our nature. 
to make satisfaction in that human nature and to bear the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. God therefore manifested his justice against his son when he laid our iniquities upon him. And he poured forth his mercy and goodness on us who were guilty and worthy of damnation. And don't overlook this because some people think that the Belgic Confession isn't devotional. Out of mere and perfect love. Out of love, God poured the punishment that you and I deserved for our sins on Jesus Christ and instead poured out on us his mercy and goodness. Giving his son unto death for us and raising him for our justification that through him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. We don't have a crooked judge who simply overlooks our sins. What we see in Jesus Christ is where righteousness and peace kiss. It's where the wrath of God and the grace of God are seen not as opposed to each other, but at the cross. At the cross we see how God feels about sin. You see Jesus Christ gasping for air on the cross. You see him bearing the weight of all the wrath against sin. You see it on him and you say, that's how God feels about sin. He hates it. But then you see and you look again at Jesus Christ upon the cross. And you remember, that's what I deserve. And he's getting it instead. And that's what grace is. Grace is not getting what you deserve. Not getting what you deserve. And so then, having established that God's justice and his mercy are revealed in Jesus Christ, we move on to what the Belgic Confession talks about concerning the roles of Jesus Christ. The Belgic Confession does not talk about his kingly role. Or his prophetic role. We can thank the Heidelberg Catechism for giving us more details about that. But it does tell us about Christ's priestly role. In Hebrews chapter 7 we read about Christ being a priest. In the order of Melchizedek. By the way, if, you're, if your kid is a, a boy, name him Melchizedek. Come on. He'll always love you. And then you could just call him Zed for short. Or Mel. Either one. Melchizedek is this character that pops up in the Bible for just a brief moment in the book of Genesis. Abraham goes to save his cousin Lot, and he does. And after the battle, Melchizedek 
The priest from Salome, the king, comes out to greet him. And Abraham presents Melchizedek with a tithe, a tenth of all that he had received from the battle that he had just gone into. And Melchizedek turns around and walks away, and he's never before, never again heard of in all of the Bible. It's this mysterious character, right? And so the book of Hebrews picks this up to talk about Christ's role as priest. And this is important because what the book of Hebrews is writing to are Jews. And Jews understand that the only people who can be priests are Levites. From the Levitical tribe, from Aaron's descendants, right? But Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. He's not a Levitical priest. He's from the tribe of Judah and the line of David. So how is it that Jesus can be a priest? What's his priestly office? Well, Hebrews chapter 7 tells us, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still no need, uh, still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, Psalm 110, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it is weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek without beginning or end of days. He is heavenly. High priest. He is given the priestly office because he has an indestructible life. The best kind of priest that you can have is a priest that is forever. The Jews had priest after priest after priest. They had to continue their work. But Christ, he is the final priest, the heavenly high priest. He has an indestructible life. And not only is his life indestructible, but his life itself is the sacrifice. 
Therefore, Article 21 says, We believe that Jesus Christ is ordained with an oath by God from Psalm 110 to be an everlasting high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And that Christ, on completion of his work upon the cross and in his resurrection and in his ascension, presented himself in our behalf before the Father to appease his wrath by his full satisfaction, by offering himself on the tree of the cross and pouring out his precious blood to purge away our sins as the prophets had foretold. Christ is our high priest. The nature of his sacrifice is given to us in great detail in Isaiah chapter 53. 700 years before the coming of Christ. Isaiah 53 tells us that the work of Christ upon the cross would be taking our infirmities, our imperfections, our sicknesses, and our pierced For our transgressions, our sins. Punishment that brought us peace was upon him, laid on him our iniquity. I don't think I'm going to do this. Iniquity is a hard one. Oppressed, afflicted, led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment taken away, he's cut off from the land of the living. He was stricken for the transgression of my people. Assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And we hear of this in Isaiah chapter 53. That it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, to make his life a guilt offering. But it was through this crushing and suffering that Christ underwent, not only because of the will of the Father, but he offered his own life up. No one takes my life from me, I give it up of my own accord. On the tree of the cross, pouring out his precious blood to purge away our sins as the prophets had foretold. Article 21 then quotes straight from Isaiah 53. Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. Led like a lamb to the slaughter, numbered with the transgressors. Condemned by Pontius Pilate as a malefactor, though he had first declared him innocent. Christ takes upon himself 
our sin. The punishment for our sin. He is made an atoning sacrifice for us. This word atonement, at one mint, means that in the work of Christ, we are united to Christ. In his death we die, in his life we live again. This is the nature of his sacrifice. The question we have to ask ourselves is, as we always do with these kinds of doctrinal discussions and looking at the scriptures is, Why does it matter? Therefore he restored that which he took not away. Suffered the righteous for the unrighteous as well in his body as in his soul feeling the terrible punishment which our sins had merited, insomuch that his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood falling down upon the ground. He called out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And suffered all this for the remission of our sins. He restored to us what we had lost. He took away the guilt of our sin. And that's why we say with the Apostle Paul that we know nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We count all things loss except to know the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. And once again, many people say the Belgic Confession is is not um, pastoral and devotional. But in Christ Jesus our Lord, In his wounds we find consolation, comfort. In whose wounds we find all manner of consolation. Do you find consolation in the wounds of Christ? Do you find in Christ and what he suffered on your behalf comfort and peace? Can you say with the Apostle Paul that you desire to know nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that that would be a central point of your life, that that would be a pivot, that that would be something you focus upon, that your life is understood through and by the cross of Jesus Christ? Can we all truly say in our hearts that we count all things, all things but loss, and refuse, scubalon. It's the Greek word for refuse. 
Can you say that you, 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 you count all things loss and garbage that you may know the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord? That should be our, our heart's cry and our heart's desire. And it's that kind of heart, that kind of heart that desires their life to be focused upon and built upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Their heart that desires that all things would look like trash in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ that would find all manner of consolation in the wounds of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He was called by the angel of God, Jesus, that is to say, Savior, because he would save his people from their sins. Understanding Jesus is where we see the revelation of God's mercy and justice. Understanding that Jesus is our heavenly high priest, the one that stands before the Father now in his human body with wounds upon him, expressing them and showing them to God the Father to show them over and over again that we are free of condemnation. To know that we are the people that he saved from their sins. That by faith in Jesus Christ, we have been justified. Not because of our work, but because of his. Completely and totally. That there is nothing more to seek In Article 21, speaking to the many inventions occurring at that time that Guido Debris wrote this confession, and the many inventions that even happen today in our day and age, that something so simple as the cross of Jesus Christ, it's not flashy enough, it's not good enough. We need all these other sort of mechanisms to function for our, our salvation and for, for us to feel appeased and good about ourselves. Neither is it necessary to seek or invent any other means of being reconciled to God than this only sacrifice once offered by which Christ has perfected forever them that are being sanctified. We don't need to go find a statue that's of Mary where it seems like she's bleeding. We don't need to go find Joseph's pants. We don't need to go find lucky rabbit's tails. We don't need to invent new ways to, to find encountering God. We don't need to pray to saints. We don't need to go to confession. We don't need to do all these things. All we need is the cross of Jesus Christ. And if we feel that we need anything more than that, then what we're saying is God's Decreed way of salvation falls short. It's imperfect. It's insufficient. But it's not. It's perfect. It's restored to us what we have lost. It has taken away our sin. It has given us the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. It gives us consolation and comfort. It matters because this is the heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ on the cross and what that has done for us, what it means 
for us. Christ suffered hell so we wouldn't have to. He endured tremendous pain. What he experienced on the cross in the three hours that he was on the cross is what we would go through in eternity in hell. So that through his death and resurrection, we would be spared the punishment that we rightfully deserve and granted the gift of immortality and eternal life with God. I'd like to close with another verse from Shailen's song, The Cross. He says, We're now in the realm of the sublime and profound. With God at the helm, it's about to go down. The Father's wrath precise will blast and slice the priceless Master Christ as a sacrifice. Willingly, he's under the curse to be treated as if the sun was the worst scum of the earth. The scene is the craziest. Jesus being treated as if he is the shadiest atheist. How is it the Messiah is in the fiery pit? As if he was a wicked liar with twisted desires. The one who's sinless and just. Punished as if he was promiscuous and mischievous with vicious lust. The source of all godly pleasure tormented as if he was a foul investor or child molester. How could he be bruised like he was a goody two-shoes who doesn't think that she needs the good news? He's perfect in love and wisdom, but he's suffering as if he constructed the corrupt justice system. We should mourn at the backdrop, Jesus torn like he's on the corner with crack rock with porn on his laptop. What is this, kid? His gifts are infinite, but he's hit with licks For religious hypocrites, he's the light but being treated like he's the seedy type who's like to beat his wife. He's treated like a rapist, treated like a slanderer, treated like a racist or maybe a philanderer. Jesus being penalized like he had sin inside, filled with inner pride while committing genocide. I could write for a billion years and still can't name all the sins placed on the lamb slain. But know this, the main thing the cross demonstrated, the glory and the holiness of God vindicated. So forever will I tell, in three hours Christ suffered more than any sinner ever will in hell. So forever will I tell, in three hours Christ suffered more than any sinner ever will in hell. It's where we see your holiness at the cross. We see that you're controlling this at the cross. We see how you feel about sin at the cross. Your unfathomable love for men at the cross. It's where we see your sovereignty at the cross. We see our idolatry at the cross. We know that there's a judgment day from the cross. May we never take our eyes away from the cross. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has made satisfaction for our sin. 
And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be able to see in the great comfort and consolation that is found in Jesus Christ, that we may behold him and count all things but loss and garbage for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. May we see him as the one who died to save us from our sins. May we see him suffering in body and in soul, feeling the terrible punishment which our sins had merited, and know, Lord, how great an expression of mere and perfect love this is from you to us. That he not only died on the cross, but you raised him for our justification, that through him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. We praise you that Christ suffered hell to save us from it. We thank you for such a Savior as this. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.